The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. To Egypt. They told Aaron, Make us some gods who can lead us, for we don't know what has become of this Moses who brought us out of Egypt. So they made an idol shaped like a calf, and they sacrificed to it and rejoiced in this thing they had made. Then God turned away from them and gave them up to serve the sun, moon, and stars as their gods. In the book of the prophets, it is written, Was it to me you were bringing sacrifices during those 40 years in the wilderness, Israel? No, your real interest was in your pagan gods the shrine of Molech, the star god of Raphan, and the images you made to worship them. So I will send you into captivity far away in Babylon. Thank you, Crystal. Hey, uh, what we have going on here is a courtroom drama scene where Stephen has been accused of treason, speaking against Moses, speaking against the temple and the Bible. In our culture today, that would mean anything. Back then, that's a capital offense. You get executed if you get convicted of that. And he moves from being on the defense, being the defense attorney, to now prosecuting the people that are prosecuting him. Making charge, you guys, he says this, you're so involved in the temple and the, the shrine to worship God here. And over and over again, all we have done as a people is worship and serve other gods except the one true God. We're not 10 minutes out of Egypt, we're making a baby calf there to worship there in the desert. So, yeah, nice try. He says there in, I got to get there in my own Bible, in somewhere in Acts 7 that uh, Crystal just read for us, where he, he talks about the fact that uh, you, you wanted to go back to Egypt. I want to tell you today, maybe write this first thing down here on your, that note sheet. It's in your program. It, it's there for you. Uh, Egypt is easier. Let me explain to you. The, God's people being led out of slavery into freedom, over and over again, they kept saying, you know what? Why don't we just go back to Egypt? At least we had food there. At least we know what that was like. Because see, here's the deal. Freedom sounds beautiful and amazing on paper. Freedom in reality does have some challenges, does have some things you have to do to work out. Those of you that are in recovery kinds of stuff, of being set free from addiction, being set free from a jacked up, screwed up marriage, being, going through stuff, you go, in some ways, alcoholism was just easier. Addiction to pornography was just easier. A jacked up, screwed up marriage, just easier. I just knew what it was. And for these people, you're going, seriously, you want to go back to Egypt where... They enslaved you, they beat you, and they killed your children. You want to go back there. We do this all the time with God. God sets us free. We romanticize and idealize and sanitize the past and think, just easier back there. That's not the main point today. That's just for free. Um, And he, he goes on to say, too, that you're so into Moses and the temple. You're so into Moses and the Bible, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament that Moses put together and compiled for them. It says there in in verse 37, Moses himself told you that God was going to raise up a great prophet. You know who Stephen's talking about here? Jesus is coming. He says, and you're all into Moses. 
Moses told you fools that Jesus was coming. And you fools, and you got to picture the courtroom drama here. It's no longer just this meandering, all right, all right, all right, making a speech to the jury. It's getting intense. It's getting driven. The camera's zooming in right here. The music is, is driving, and it's getting there, and the jurors are leaning forward here. Because he said, you fools, you rejected every prophet and ignored every prophet that God sent. And then you, we made the biggest mistake of all, rejecting the one sent from God, Jesus himself. I want to go back to Egypt. What's wrong with us? And then they say it's taking too long. We're out there in the wilderness. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. In Exodus 24 to 32, it tells us all about that. Previous weeks, we've actually gone and we've zoomed into that story and taken a look at those verses. We're not going to do that today. I'm going to encourage you to read it for yourself. Dig into it for yourself. But they decide Moses is up on the mountain. Moses is their leader. And they all of a sudden go to Aaron and go, we need someone or something else to follow here because Moses has been up there for 40 days. It's taking too long. We have nobody to follow here. Make us another God. And you'll see it here. What it says, uh, what's become of this Moses? Not like our leader Moses who parted the Red Sea, who led us out of Egypt. Just Moses. Guys, for those of you in leadership, this is classic what people who follow you all the time will do. Here's what it is. What have you done for me lately? What do you, I know you served me, did all this stuff for me. A moment of crisis comes, where are you now? And he's gone, he's not there, there. My boom, beck and call to save me and take care of me right now. So let's, fine, make, let's make a baby calf. Let's make a baby cow. That's, that's a cow in puberty. It's not a full-grown cow, it's not moo. It's, it's, they make a baby cow to, to worship there. And, and we don't know what's happening there. Uh, they, it says they're either reducing God down, the one true God that they follow, down into an image that they can, something physical they can see, or they're just rejecting the one true God to follow another God. Reduce or reject. In, in any case, God said don't do either of these things. And it says in, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 32, Verse 25, and in 1 Corinthians 10, 7, it says, They sat down that day, they made the statue out of the gold that they got from Egypt, and they did a worship service, and it was all good. They're singing music, and it all looked good and everything. And then they did a big feasting, and they had a meal afterwards, and it says they got up to indulge in, this is where the Bible, the translators don't quite know what to do with this, pagan revelry. Some of you are going, I have the t-shirt for pagan revelry. Pagan revelry is the frat house meets Vegas meets MTV meets crazy, crazy stuff going on. Crazy debauchery, nasty stuff going on that started off this beautiful, and this is where idolatry always goes. It always devolves down into something where it all becomes indulgent and self-focused. And we can look at that, and I look at that, it says in verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 25 of Exodus, it says, much to the amusement of the people around them that are watching this. Don't miss this today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God's called you to stand out and make a difference. And sometimes in our efforts to make a difference, we so much want to be, here's the real Christian buzzword right now, relevant. Let's be relevant. And there's certainly some part that that's very good to do. Being relevant, not being a freako, weirdo, stupid, idiotic person. You don't want to be that if you're a Christian. Um, and we can think of all kinds of crazy ways that people do that, but sometimes we have this thing called ridiculous relevance. We so much want to fit in, and it's not even about making a difference to the world. We just want, we want people to like us. 
just like me, like me, like me. We're all recovering from seventh grade still. At 57 years old, you're still recovering from seventh grade. I just want people to approve of me and like me. And when we do that and we fit so much into the culture and world and there's no distinct difference, the culture looks at us and goes, you're a joke. You're just a joke. I'm telling you, if you want to make a difference in the world, be willing to stand out and be different. Now, don't be different and weird. There's enough of you weird Christians. Don't be that. But he's saying, look, it's going to be weird at times. Stand out and don't, be, don't just fit in. Anyway, that's not even the message today. We're getting after idolatry today. Um, idolatry, we look at the, they make this gold calf, and you're, some of you are looking at this message going, why did we come to church today? Idolatry, thank God we don't struggle with that anymore. You know, these ancient, uncivilized, developing countries and other parts of the world worship statues. Indiana Jones, remember there in the first one where the little monkey statue lifts it off there? And the, anyway, all that kind of stuff. We think those ancient, uncivilized uh, people back then. I'm going to submit to you today that in the West, in developing, modernized countries, idolatry is a bigger problem in the West than it is in developing countries. Because there you can see it, and it's a statue and all there. We have, they have external idolatry. We have internal idolatry. We have, we have things in our heart and our soul. And the statues are just visible expressions of our own heart and soul. And that's why you'll see on top of the note sheet today, some of you are going to think, is this a, a misspelling word? Because here's what happens. Idolatry is just not worshiping an idol. Actually, idolatry is worshiping myself, my own values. When you put an I in the middle of idolatry, you know what you get? No, you get idolatry. And it's exactly what happens. You get stupid and ridiculous. You worship a baby cow. Like, what's going on with you there? And we can see this in all kinds of places of visible expressions of worship all over the world in ancient times. And this is where we can see this, like the Greeks and the Romans had all their statues and gods, Epaphrodite and, and, and Apollo and Dionysus, all these gods and goddesses, all these were, were visible representations and expressions of what they thought was valuable, what they thought was for. And we can look at them and go, and they go to their temples, and they're sitting there and they're, they're bowing down and they're worshiping their God and, and sitting there at the statue and go, how crazy uncivilized, until we look at ourselves today. We, we're not as civilized as we think we are. The number of hours we, in the morning, I've, oh, I must see the blue gaze of the phone in my face to wake me up and check my posts and likes. We'll get to that in a second. Um, here's what idolatry is. Idolatry, you can write this down today, is valuing something else more than God. That's all it is. Now, there's lots of other more technical definitions. Our women, a lot of our, our women in our church here are in, in women's Bible studies, meeting all over the, in various communities and, and cities and homes, stuff like that. And it's talking about idolatry, talking about uh, having no other gods and how the, the modern day in the West, what idolatry looks like for us. I'd encourage you, ladies, if you're not in that Bible study yet, get in one. You can go to our website and get that all checked out. And we can see all kinds of expressions of idolatry in our culture. The obvious ones, everybody's going to go, sex and money. It's everywhere. It's in the music. It's in the advertising. It sells things, sex, money, uh, technology. Uh, and, and I want to tell you, too, that sometimes idolatry is this bad, evil stuff over here. And sometimes you know what idolatry is? Sometimes all idolatry is just a good thing that becomes a God thing. Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us this. Here's what idolatry is. It's we worship and serve the things that God created rather than the creator himself. What we tell God is like, thank you very much, go away, leave us alone. And we say, my life only has meaning, I only have value if this thing, this God or God, this thing here in my life is supremely important to me. So it can be good things even like family and your children and your home and your money and your hobbies. 
achievement ideology where I become successful. Uh, image stuff. Uh, going, getting in shape and diet and exercise and all that stuff. Being so conscious and aware of how I look to the world around me. Nothing wrong with any of these things. They become core. Um, we can have religion idolatry. That isn't about worshiping Jesus. It's about the forms of the religion around us. And we can have even nationalistic idolatry about our country and patriotism. And look, before you write me nasty notes about all that stuff, for all you out there that vote for Biden or Trump or something in between, uh, Beth at Go to Cross Point is the email address to contact me at. We can make a god or goddess out of anything, out of even good things. And those are all kind of surface gods. These, these, these gods that just they pop up everywhere. Uh, I'm going to share with you, with you guys some things today. And you're going to think, man, Steve's brilliant. Steve's insightful. I'm going to tell you, I'm not brilliant and I'm not insightful. You know what I know how to do? Read. There's a great little book by a guy named Tim Keller. It's called Counterfeit Gods. And it looks at the gods and goddesses of the West, not ancient and uncivilized times, but right here, right now, and the way we value someone or something else more than God. I encourage you to get that book. It's not even that thick, and it's got big writing in it, too, and wide margins. It will, it's so good, so practical for you. Counterfeit Gods by Tim Keller. Almost everything I'm going to tell you today, you could have just skipped church and read the book. But I can't give you everything in the book today. Well, I could, but we'd be here till 2 o'clock. So uh, let me just take you through some things here that he talks about. Because he has this brilliant thing, and it's not just sourced in Tim Keller. There's all kinds of other guys for hundreds of years now that have written about this, that there are the, the surface idols up here on top, and then there's the source idols underneath. And if we're not careful, we'll just mow down the surface idols over and over again. How many of you guys have a lawn at your house? Not, not those fake lawns. You, Yeah. A real lawn, an American lawn. <laughs> no. How many of you have crabgrass in that lawn? You seen crabgrass? You know what happened to crabgrass? You can mow that lawn, it all looks great, and you know, crabgrass grows at four times the rate of the real grass stuff, and you just take over everything. So, what we have to do is get below the surface and get it down at the roots and find out what's, what's down below the surface. I'm going to give, talk to you about four, not not surface idols, but four source idols, where all the other idolatry springs from. This is going to feel a bit right now, like a bit like a TED talk, so I need you to pay attention. Uh, let's turn the air conditioning down a little bit to make sure it's really cool in here so nobody gets too warm and too comfortable in, in here. And the, and the purpose of looking at these four source idols today is not just to make you a smarter Christian. I hope you're not a dumb Christian because we have enough of those in the world. hope you're a smart Christian. That's not the point of this today. The point of this today is to identify these four source idols so that you can say, hmm, that one sounds like me. It might be one or two, and some of you are going to get to the end of the four and go, yep. They're going to be all of them for you. I want to take a look at these four today. The first one we're going to look, they're, they're there on your note sheet. There's a little chart there for you. Comfort, Power, control, and approval are the four source idols of our culture today. Comfort, first of all, says this. Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure and experience in my life. A particular, here's the, the, the little buzzword for it. I want quality of life. The, it's all about privacy, lack of stress, freedom to just be myself and do what I want. We worship comfort. The price tag for the God of comfort is productivity. 
because I'm not going to get a lot of things done because that takes work and all that. I just want to chill out, relax, just productivity. The nightmare scenario for you if you worship this God or this goddess, the God of comfort, is stress and demands. When all of a sudden things get demanding, things get stressful, like, oh, I don't like this. Let's turn all that down. Let's just go hide in Netflix and binge watch Netflix all weekend long watching Squid Game or whatever other crazy nonsense is out there that they just keep addicting us to. Um, some of you going, Squid Game? Don't watch it. It's ridiculous. And some of you going, I have to watch it. He said it's bad. Um, the impact on people is people feel neglected and hurt. And almost all of your relationships will be shallow. Here's why. Because here's the, here's the truth of life that you cannot deny. Quality relationships take work. They take work. And when it really has to get quality, oh, I just want to, I want to deal with all this. So I'm just going to play on the surface and keep everything surface. Nothing ever gets in depth. Nobody really knows who I am. I have a lot, I have a lot of people who are close to me, they, but I let them get about this far. And I'll say, I want people around me until a crisis breaks out. And then it's like, where is everybody for me? It's like, well, you never developed the relationships out there when you should have. Get in a small group and develop those things. That's a small little commercial for that. Your problem emotion, if, you're, if your God is comfort, is boredom. When you get bored, you got to do something to rev it up. So we go spend money. We go out there and find a new TV show, find some new thing to do, go post on whatever we do. It's boredom. The, the second God is the idol is the power idolatry. Life only has meaning, I only have worth if I have power and influence over myself, over others. If you're into power, it's all about success. It's all about winning. It's all about influence. The price tag for this uh, idol is you feel burdened and you bear heavy responsibility. It just gets on you to have the, the, the weight and the power of that. And your whole deal, because you're all about winning, your nightmare scenario, scenario is humiliation. And humiliation is seen as when I don't win. In the workplace, in my family, I'm in charge here. I'm the dad or the mom. There's a sense of power there that domineers over everybody. I saw this uh, years ago playing these little neighborhood poker pickup games. And the buy-in was like 10 or 20 bucks. I knew nothing about playing poker, but I watched guys lose their minds over not winning $135 at a poker thing. And these guys were wealthy guys. You know what it's about? I want to win. I want to be the best. Even a dumb little silly neighborhood poker game. People, your impact on people, when you're all about power, success, when that becomes your God, is people feel used. Because all that they're good for is help you build your brand, build your family, build your company, Watch out, there's even pastors and spiritual leaders that go, build my church. I don't really want to get to know you. What can you do for me? What can you do to, to leverage all of this? And you guys understand something here. Small expressions of these, there's going to be good things that come out of it. We make good things, make them God things. And your problem emotion, if you're into power, is anger. This is the God you worship, the idol you worship when you have power, winning all that thing. Because when you don't win... I'm going to win next time. I will crush people that get in my way. The third idol we're looking at today is the idol of control. This is all about self-discipline. This is the control idol. It says life only has meaning. I only have worth if I have able to get, get mastery, uh, control in my life in the area of, and you can fill in the blank, my family, my work, my 
habits, my body image, my diet, whatever it might be. It's about certainty. It's about standards. The price tag for this, this idol is uh, lonely and spontaneity goes away. Everything has to be predictable, has to be figured out. This God was surfaced in our culture in the last two years with all the crazy disruptions that we had. Because I've seen it happen over and over again. Whenever somebody disrupts your routine and you lose your mind, that probably is your God. Because I, I have my routines and I, I, I don't even care what the change is. It might be, it might be a good change. It might be something that's going to be, but I just don't like it because I had things structured. I had things figured out. Boom. Things were predictable. Boom, 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 boom. And the nightmare scenario for somebody who worships this God is uncertainty. Can I just be full disclosure with you guys today for a second? Can we be honest at church for a second? This one is the one that creeps into my life all the time. And those of you that know me well go, you don't have to tell us that. We knew already. Here's what I can tell you. I'll get in the car with my wife to go somewhere, go on a vacation, go on a trip somewhere. And we have these devices now that will give us directions to go everywhere. And I get lost going everywhere, so this is awesome, amazing. She'll put in the directions on the phone. She'll get it all there on the phone, have it all there. It's, boom, it's going to tell us exactly what to do. You know what I want to know? Two turns ahead. Where are we going? Tell me the next name of the next street. It's going to tell you on the phone. Shut up. I need, I need control. And the people around you, you will feel, your impact on people, but people will feel condemned if this is your God. This is your idol. People start to feel always looking down on them. And if you are sitting here today thinking, I'm glad Steve's talking about this. Has the thing, I know some people who need this. If you have a couple of times have written down somebody's name and you've looked at your person's signature, you go, Mm-mm, yeah, this is your God. You pagan idolatry. It's all about control. And your big problem motion is worry. Can I ever measure up? Am I ever going to have enough control? Because you recognize in life that you're never going to have enough, but you just worry and stress about things all the time. The fourth idol is the idol of approval. This is the idol about affirmation and love and relationships. And again, nothing wrong with affirmation, love, relationships, but when they become central and core, when you start to say, life only has meaning, I only have worth if I am loved and respected by a person out there. This is the Jerry Maguire pagan idolatry. It says, you <gasps> complete me. Taking someone or something else besides God and saying, they, they're going to do that for me. Uh, Affirmation, love, relationships, the, the price tag for this idol is independence. Because you can't be, because you are, watch this, you're not independent, you are codependent. That's where it comes from. I need somebody else's approval. I need somebody else to like me, to approve of me, to feel good about myself. Your nightmare scenario, of course, is rejection. Whenever anybody rejects you or they have to come alongside and go, hey, what are you doing there? And call you out on something? Oh, my gosh. You must hate me now because you called me out on something. Your idol, yeah, we're calling you out as you're a pagan idolater worshiping approval. Um, people, your impact on people is people will feel smothered. This will be, again, some of you have better relationships where it felt so good to have that person say, you complete me. And you find out I can't complete anybody. 
And that person will keep sucking and sucking and sucking the life out of you and out of that relationship, trying to get you to do something for them that they were never designed to do. But all of our pop culture songs and movies and romance and Hallmark and Lights and Movies are telling you, you can find that person. That person is out there. And you'll find them and you'll ruin them and ruin yourself in the, in the middle of it once you think that you're, you're, um, here's what happened to your impact on people will be overcommitment without follow through because you can't make anybody mad. I want people to like me so you'll say yes and yes. You'll never put boundaries in any relationship. You just keep overcommitting and overcommitting, overcommitting, overcommitting without follow through and because you just can't keep following through but you never want to tell anybody no and have them not like you. Oh. Your problem emotion, of course, is cowardice. It's fear of what people think about me and all that. You guys, you can see how this could be manifested. Those are source idols. Look at that yourself right now and go, which one or two of those might be a problem for me? But you can see how these manifest themselves out. You can think like in technology, like this phone here can help you worship the God of, of comfort because, oh, I have the 13 and it has 14 cameras on it. I could shoot a, a video thing on. I have power over my life. I have control over my life. And I can get, I can, ooh, approval. Right here, I can find out in 0.3 seconds how many people like me or didn't like my TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever silly nonsense else they're putting out there to get you enslaved and addicted to stuff. It'll happen with relationships. All about comfort. Oh, it just feels good to have that. I just finally found somebody. It feels so good. That their approval, comfort and approval kind of sometimes will go hand in hand. Uh, it'd be, it'd be, again, relationships and sexuality and pleasure, all that. You use power, use that as, as, as to weaponize that, to gain power and control over people. And, of course, money. Money can be all about comfort. Money can be all about getting people's approval. Money can be all about, man, if I just get to a certain level, I have one I got to the point where I have a million dollars in net worth or I got to a certain level in my job or I sold this many houses or I closed this many deals, whatever I might be. And if you're not careful, those good things can become God things. We can keep going over and over again. And so the, the big question today is, okay, what's God's response to this? How, what does God think about all this? Glad you asked. Some of you are going to think God's response to idolatry is to go and rain down fire and light. And you know what God's response to idolatry is? Give you whatever you want. He says, you don't want me, you want to worship another god or goddess, knock yourself out. It tells us here in Acts chapter 7, it says God turned away from them and abandoned them to serve the stars of heaven. He said, you want to worship all those gods and goddesses? Go ahead. Romans 1 says, hey, you worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. So it says God abandoned them to do whatever they wanted. And he's going to say, and to, to quote whatever, is it Dr. Phil or somebody goes, how's that working for you, humanity? How's it working for you? Because you keep doing this over and over again. And what you start to discover, sometimes you think, I just want all my hopes and dreams fulfilled. That would be awesome. <laughs> You're going to discover that sometimes having all your hopes and dreams fulfilled can be a nightmare. You get everything you want, and you go, man, I got that. And ugh, it destroyed me. But sometimes it doesn't just destroy. Sometimes what it does, it disappoints. It's a sense of, remember when you were dating and you met her or met him. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And then they never I could keep doing that for you. And some of you are sitting next to somebody right now going, oh, that's not true about you, babe. They're lying to you right now because <laughs> they crave your approval. They worship a false god. <laughs> or money. We think money or a home or we get to a certain level of, I mean, think about it. The chasing the, 
when, when I made 30000 a year, if I could just get to 60000 you know, 60000 90000 80, And again, some of you think, if I could just get to making, if I could make hundred and fifty grand a year, that would be awesome. And you'll get there and go, I need two fifty. You're going to keep chasing it because it just, it's like this echo of like, I kind of got a taste for it. I felt this in my soul. Like, <gasps> let me, it didn't quite do it. Solomon talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes. So I want you to find that book in your Bible. Ecclesiastes. It's, if you find Psalm and then go to the right to Proverbs, then there's the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is written by the richest guy on the planet at that time. The richest, most powerful guy in the world at that time. Uh, and he starts off the book, this thing saying, hey, everything in life is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And then it tells us, he talks about that I went after everything that the world had, could have to offer. Chapter 2, into verse 8, he says this, I had everything a man could desire. Not like I wanted everything a man could desire. He said, I got everything. I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. So it's not about just consumption. He's all about power and success as well. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. This is where you'll get when you worship the false gods of the world, disappointment. We have modern-day prophets that have told us about this. Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Here's the quote up on the screen. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires, movie gods, and rock stars, but we won't, and we're slowly learning that fact. So here's the disillusionment, chasing it and never quite getting there. And now I want you to see from two modern-day prophets, uh, Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey, says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. And then, for those of you that love Tom Brady, you're welcome. Those of you who hate Tom Brady, I'm sorry. But the GOAT, the greatest of all time, said this several years ago, because now he has, what, six or seven Super Bowl rings. Tom Brady gets Super Bowl rings like we get new iPhone updates. He just gets a new one all the time. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal my dream, my life. And I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I'm telling you this because some of you are going, well, I would be different if I got a million dollars. No, you wouldn't. Because what you would do is you would enshrine someone or something else as the god or goddess of your life, and it would, just, it would either dismantle and destroy you or just disappoint you like crazy. So our response to idolatry... How do we respond to idolatry? The first thing I'm going to give you is what not to do, but it's what the human heart tends to do. Is I'm going to call it today self-righteous trading. We mistake repentance and turning to God to just trade gods. Let, let me give you a, a classic one. This is the classic thing you see in all the movies about the man usually who becomes the workaholic, all about 
power and success out there. And he dismantled. His kids don't know who he is. His wife doesn't know who he is. The kids hate him. But he achieves success by the world standards and goes, what am I doing out here? I'm going to stop chasing that God or goddess. And what I'm going to do? Family is all this is important. So now the approval and the affection of my children. All you've done is trade one God for the other. And you'll discover both of them will leave you chasing the wind. One sounds more <gasps> awesome and amazing, but they both end up making a mess. The other one is like with money. Money uh, can provide all kinds of things for us in our life. And so we can do with money what a lot of us in the West do to worship comfort with our money. And we have credit card debt and consumer debt like crazy, chasing after more pleasure and more pleasure, more comfort, more vacations, more granite countertops, more new, whatever it might be. We go out there and chase it like crazy. And at some point we go, this is dumb. Or we'll take a financial peace class or hear a great talk by somebody saying something about money. Go, That's dumb. I got, I, I got to quit doing that. So I'm going to take, like Dave Ramsey, we offer this course all the time. It's great and it's fantastic. But you have to be careful here. Because you'll start to think, I'm going to quit doing that and being irresponsible. I'm going to get out of debt, get emergency fund money, get all my savings accounts built up. And all you can do when you do that is just move from the God of comfort to the God of power and control. Now I have control over my money. Look what I have done. Got to be careful with it. They're insidious, uh, our response to uh, uh, idolatry. And I think sometimes, too, uh, I've seen this happen almost like it's almost a generational thing, and this is going to be a big overgeneralization. So if this is not you, I'm sorry, but this is an overgeneralization. For people, uh, the Xers, the Boomers, the, our generations, the older people here amongst us, worked hard, built companies, had success, did all this great stuff out there. Younger generation, millennials, Gen Z are going, you guys are crazy. Look what you've done to families and all that. You said, oh, we're not going to do that. We want quality of life, man. We just want quality of life. We don't need to have all that crazy stuff. We'll just and I'm telling you right now, if you're not careful, all you've done is trade one God for another. Be super careful with it. So what do we do? What's our response to idolatry? I'm going to give you four key things here. i got to go fast, so pay attention. First one is we need to recognize who our gods, our false gods, our idols might be. Uh, we need to identify them. That's why we took some time today to give you that little chart on there. That chart is not to give to somebody else. It's to think which one or two of these might be can creep back into my life. And I'll tell you too how idolatry works and identifying your idols. Sometimes, even if you're a Christian, idol, idols can creep back into your life because it did in God's people. You'll see what happened. They, they had the temple, the one true God, the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God was over the Ark of the Covenant. We worship the one true God. And then once in a while they go, you know what? Okay, that's what we do. That's the core thing. But over here, on the little high place over here, it's out of the way on the outskirts of town. There's another, we're part of the culture. Let's just get real. So we worship that God or God. It's not core to my life. It's just over there. And what you'll watch happen is idols are creepy because, not because they're weird or insidious, they creep. And you'll discover this as you read the Bible for yourself, that the idols that start off in the high place eventually find themselves right in the temple. They can, get, they can creep in, so you've got to be super careful. You have to identify them. Here's some questions to help you know. Four big questions, not the only questions, just four big questions. Where do my thoughts effortlessly keep going? I daydream about all the time, probably just, oh man, life would be off. I just had this. And again, nothing wrong with some of that once in a while, daydream and plan and all that, but when it's just, it's obsessive where it just effortlessly keeps going, is I'm not saying that that's what your idol is. So just, where do my thoughts just effortlessly go? Number two, how do I spend my money? Jesus tells us this very, very clearly where your money is. That's where your heart is. 
And as you look at your bank account, you look at your checking account balance, you look at all the things there, does anything in there give you an indication, you know what, hmm, do I really worship God or do I really worship vacation and pleasure or comfort or success? Just be careful with that. Number, uh, the, the third question is, how do I respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes when I have prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give me a job, to God let me date somebody that's normal? <laughs> For, to find somebody who would make my life feel meaningful and significant, to, to whatever that is, and God keeps not coming through. What happens when you are in a difficult marriage and it's not getting better? How do I respond to unanswered prayers and frustrated hopes? And look at me for a second. Sadness and disappointment is a perfectly is a great reaction to that. But if we're not careful, sadness and disappointment will give way to explosive anger or deep despair. And you go, be be careful with that. What about my uncontrollable emotions is the fourth one, both positive and negative. What do you get geeked out about? Ah, Amazing. Do you get get one-third geeked out about Jesus as you do about grown men in tight pants chasing a leather ball around a field? Oops. Or about your political party winning or not winning. What creates... Extreme emotions on both sides might be a, an indicator of it. And again, you have to call yourself out. Um, we are, at the core of who we are, we can be, we're idolaters. We're not, we're not people who struggle with idolatry. We are idolaters. Your problem is not that, well, you know, once in a while I, I struggle with, you know, sharing stuff I shouldn't share. I'm just, I struggle with gossip. No, you're a gossip. You don't struggle with lying. You're a liar. You don't struggle with anger. You're an angry Person, you don't struggle with pornography, you're a pervert. Boom. Call yourself out, because when you do that, if you're not careful, you can say, well, I just have this little thing over here on the side, and it once in a while trips me up. No, call it out for what it is. It's a false god in my life. Identify it, call it out. And then the second thing you do is you recognize, and then you repent. And repent is the idea of I reject and renounce this as being God over my life any longer. I'm done Something this God, and we do not do this silly thing where we go, okay, that God used to be God in my life, so I'm going to take the God and go put it over here in the closet or the attic in case I need it sometime later. I'm going to, I'm going to grind this. Read about it in Exodus 32. Moses took that calf, God that they had made, as he ground it down, that gold, into powder, put it in water, and made them drink it. And I discovered this week, this would be a little crass for some of you, so those of you who like church, little G and PG, I'm sorry, but this is just what's here today. Gold is an inert metal, which means it doesn't dissolve in water and your stomach doesn't digest it. You know where you see gold the next time? Exactly what Danny got sparkling in the toilet, embedded in all that stuff. You're going to see it sparkling out there. God, I think God wanted to let him know, hey, uh, you're not going to just grind this. We're not going to put this up in the hill. We grind it down to powder. You fools will come back here and put epoxy on this thing and make another God out of it. This is where idolatry takes you. Renounce this stuff. Call it a pile of what it is. And whatever word you want to put on there, that's what God wanted them to see in this. And then you need to be really careful here because we can think if we're not careful, the solution to idolatry is just say no to Nancy Reagan it, those of you that are my age. Just say no to idolatry. That's not enough. You need a stronger yes. The third thing to put right down here is to replace it. Is to replace that God with someone or something better. In Matthew 12, 
uh, Matthew 12, 43 to 45. You can turn there or just let me read it for you if you want. I think the reference is there in your note sheet. If they're not, if I forgot them, you can reference. It's a great verse. It says this. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept, and in order. And then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter that person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That's the experience of this generation. If all you ever do is just say no to sin, it's not going to do it because you can't say no long enough. At some point, that stuff just creeps back in here. You've got to find a stronger yes The God, I want the life that you have for me. And sometimes the way to say yes is to go, God, I want you to replace this idolatry of self-indulgent sexuality all that. What do I replace that with? I'm going to give. And without getting anything back in return, not using people for my own pleasure, my own fulfillment, but giving in a way. When it comes comes to to money, when it comes to money and thinking that's your God or God, one of the best ways to dismantle that as a false God in your life is generosity is to give off the top to God's kingdom causes, to local churches, to be victims of poverty and justice and all that kind of stuff. One of the best ways to do it. And you don't need to give to this church or any church or that because the church needs your money. You need to give to keep that God out of your life so that money doesn't become central to your life. Um, power. Especially if you're in a powerful position, one of the best ways you can do to combat I- that power idolatry is to serve others at the bottom anonymously. Never let them see that you did it. Serve them anonymously. Jesus talks about this all the time. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And he's saying that be anonymous in that. Be good for your soul to dismantle that God that likes to creep in there. And then uh, another way to do this is when it comes to comfort. If you worship at at the idol of comfort, it means from time to time I fast and give up certain things that I'm certainly entitled to. They're not even bad or wrong things. Just, hmm. So that food doesn't become a God. So that social media doesn't become a God. So that my phone doesn't become a God. I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to set this aside so that it doesn't become central and core to who I am. But I'm telling you right now, if all I do is give you that today, all you're going to get is a bunch of behavior modification and not even this will work. The stronger yes you need is not about behavior modification. The stronger yes you need comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, and 5. Jesus quotes this verse when he's asked, what's the greatest thing that humanity can do? You know what he says? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Love God with everything. Just love Jesus. Make Jesus central to everything you do. And we say it around here, it's not Jesus first, it's Jesus central. Because you can say Jesus first and still keep your little false gods and goddesses over here. We say Jesus is central, which means Jesus is king and Lord over everything in my life, over my, over my job, over my family, over how I do food, over how I watch TV, over how I do sex and dating. He got, Jesus is king and Lord over it all. That's what it means to make, he's a stronger, yes. And when you get that, you'll discover there's this title of a book that you ought, it's going to come up here on the screen. It's a book written in the 1700s, 1800s called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection by Thomas Chalmers. Now you need to get the modern updated version of it because you're going to read the one in the 17th century and go, what the heck is this? They have modern updated versions. It's a little pamphlet. And it talks about this. He says, even back in the 1700s, 1800s, pastors were saying, look, it's not enough to just say no to sin. You need, you need a new affection. You need a new love for God that will expel the gods out of your life. They, they, they will, they, that God sits this throat king and center of your life. It expels the false gods and goddesses of your life. And then as the band comes up right now, the fast thing to write down here today is rejoice. 
Rejoice in the fact that you have a God who looked at you in your stupid, ridiculous idolatry and said, I love you anyway. And it says, and because of your idolatry and the jacked up mess you've made out of this world, I love you enough, I'm going to become one of you to save you from your sin. And so part of that is we're going to sing right now. Now I know this is going to sound a little um, challenging for some of you. If Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin and to give you great joy in the world, how about you tell your face and body about it too? Man, my team's going to touchdown! I got this job promotion! Yeah, amazing! Jesus died on the cross. Hooray. Yeah, awesome. I'm just going to sit out here and just chill. Can we sing like we mean it today? We're going to sing like we mean it today. There's a new song we're going to do today that's power, powerful and beautiful and amazing. Get, get into this. Do this today. Come to tables of communion in the four corners of the room. How God saved us from our idolatry was the God of the universe lowers himself and I'll become one of you to save you from the ridiculous thing you've done in making yourself God so that in turn you will make in turn and make me God because I'll save you from your sin by my death on the cross. That's what the bread and the juice are all about. The bread Thank are- you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.